Today I had the great privilege of talking to Jessica Retis. Jessica is professor at the University of Arizona and has had a great career spanning multiple continents, both as a media and communication studies scholar and as a media professional. She said so many things that really stuck with me that I'm full of ideas and, and emotion. But one thing in particular uh, made the conversation absolutely fascinating for me, which is when I asked her, you know, what was her secret sauce uh, what, that, that made her become the successful uh, scholar and professional that she is today, she said mentorship, you know, the mentorship that she's received that enabled, empowered her to succeed in this journey. And I think that's the mentorship that she's given now to so many students, um, to professionals, uh, the mentorship that makes a difference in one person at a time, but also in the field as a whole. So I invite you to, to continue listening to this podcast to discover Jessica Retti's career and her remarkable journey of being mentor and mentoring others. What's the experience of being a Latinx scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcikowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamad bin Khalifa Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx communication across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome everybody to El Café Latinx. We have an incredible speaker with us today. Jessica Retis is an associate professor in the School of Journalism at the University of Arizona, where she's also director of the master's program in bilingual journalism. Jessica has an extensive and highly successful career, both in the academy and as a journalist. She has spanned multiple continents, you know, the Americas, that's US, Latin America, Europe. She has done research in Japan. She has taught you know, at Cal State before going um, to Arizona. She's also taught in Europe, for instance, at Universidad Carlos III in Madrid. Um, she's taught at the Tech in Monterrey, in Mexico. Has worked across all media that you can imagine, uh, with the exception of online. She's done radio, television, newspapers, documentary, film, magazine, etc. Received multiple uh, honors for, you know, research, for teaching, for service. Um, she's, you know, she's a star, and because of that, we want to learn from her. So, Jessica, the first question um, I'd like to ask you is, how did it all begin for you? You know, how, how was the start of the journey that, that really has, has brought you to where you are today, professionally speaking? Yeah, I will go back to my high school time. Um, and being a college professor, and after having taught for so many years um, in different universities, and especially when I was teaching in Cal State, I always discovered that advisor in high school 
that told that student, you're very good at writing, you're good, you can do this. And, you know, for Latino students, it's so important to have this, this advisor. And I had those uh, advisors when I was in high school. Uh, of course, what I was uh, a reporter for my high school newspaper, right? And uh, it was back in time. And when I began working as a um, journalism professor, that I realized, that's right. I also had that advisor that encouraged me and told me, and she was from Uruguay, actually, um, my um, Spanish language um, literature teacher. And she was like, you have to write. You're a very good writer. You have to write. She wanted me to write novels, right? But I ended up uh, being a journalist, which is sort of a similar, let's say we tell stories. And uh, that was the very beginning uh, when I started thinking about myself as, uh, as a good writer. And then over the years, well, just realized that I, I like to tell stories. And now I work with the storytellers. I don't tell the stories because I'm a professor, but I edit their stories. I, I, I advise them on how to do that. And, and, and I love that I, my former students, um, some of them, of course, not all, they always call me. It's like, profit. I have this story. And then what would be the best angle? And I enjoy that, engaging in that communication with my former students as well. All right. So, so remind us, so it all began in high school and where was high school geographically? Yeah, for me, Lima. It was Lima. in Lima. It was in Lima, Peru. I'm Peruvian. And I studied in uh, Lima High School. The, the, the school was called Lima High School and then Maria Alvarado. Uh, and that's when I started learning English, actually, because it was a bilingual school. So I, I started learning there. And... Um, yeah, it was it was an incredible experience just telling the stories about whatever was happening in my own high school, right? Uh huh. And then from there, uh, you went to college where, Jessica? I studied in the Universidad de Lima, Peru, mm -hmm. and and in the Faculty of Communications. And while I was studying my major, I was also working as a journalist uh, for different um, print news media, basically magazines. I was a reporter, editor-in-chief, uh, then I directed a couple of um, projects. And because I have this voice, I was also a <laughs> locutora. Um, and I, I was uh, in Lima, I, I did that. Then, then when I moved to Mexico, I was working as a correspondent for Peruvian newspapers, in, um, especially in entertainment. In, um, it was very interesting because um, I was studying in the masters of uh, political science with all this um, you know critical understanding of latin america but it was you know interviewing luis miguel <laughs> <laughs> that must have been interesting uh, yeah <laughs> that was very interesting because i was also working with opción which is um, a very interesting project in mexico it was uh, started by a professor from uh one xochimilco and um, it was um, a group of people, Beatriz Solis, um, my mentor in Mexico. She's a, a huge name in Mexico. She, uh, she's a professor there. And I uh, was working with her and I met there in Opción and met all the Libros con Patas, uh, I, was, I, 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 I like to say. So from Hector Schmuckler to, you know, you name it. Um, Garcia Canclinio, all of them would come to these uh, tertulias or um, to present books. And I also work with people in Coneic and Filafax. 
So I started meeting um, really scholars that I read back in my years of uh, as a college student, and then I started meeting them. Was a younger uh, in in the in that area. I uh, my first um, edited book actually working as an editor, not as a writer. The editing, the process of editing graphics and all this part was uh, with uh, Raul Fuentes, and his research was in the Investigación in America Latina research in Latin America. And I remember uh, the way he would talk about the trends in research in Latin America and how I learned from whatever he wrote, right? That book is a, it's a yellow book that I have in my shelf and it's, it's the beginning of everything. Wow, that's a great story. And, and so you were in Mexico, you were both uh, you know, working as a journalist and um, uh, studying um, in communication. Uh -huh. and, um, and then you ended up going to Spain, right? For your yeah, that's, that's, an that's an interesting story. So I lived in Mexico for six years. I studied the master's in um, Latin American studies. And my research was about, it was analysis of um, propaganda media in Mexico in the Carlos Salinas de Gortari administration period. So from... Uh, the election process to the end of the period. So I studied uh, the PRONASOL, the Programa Nacional de Solidaridad, and how uh, in this process of demand, the how do you say that in English, dismantling the uh, public properties and selling and all these economic restructures of the um, um, nation states in Latin America, but specifically in Mexico, it was an interesting experience to see that and see the Programa PRONASOL, which was mainly a project to help some uh, people from the periphery uh, for basic uh, resources and how uh, the campaign was very useful for um, the, his um, his image, his public image, right? And the relationship between PRI and Televisa was a very interesting, it was for me the very beginning of understanding media and economics of media and political communication, etc. That's when I started being fascinated by Noam Chomsky's uh, critical perspective of Latin America, et cetera. So I was there, I was working also in several universities, working at El Nacional, that newspaper doesn't exist anymore, so I'm that old. Uh, also was a freelancer for uh, Reforma, et cetera. And I was working at uh, Universidad Intercontinental and then Universidad, uh, Instituto Tecnológico de Monterrey. Uh, and then I fell in love with a Spaniard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great reason, isn't it? <laughs> he was also a professor at Tec de Monterrey, and we ended up um, going to Spain. Uh, and then when I was in Spain, I was like, oh, I should study my, my PhD, right? And then because I was already very, very curious about the Latin American realities, I uh, wanted to keep digging into that area. So that's why I'm rolling to the PhD in uh, contemporary Latin America. So was that in Madrid? That was in Madrid. It was in an Instituto de, uh, Instituto de Investigación Ortega y Gasset. Uh -huh. uh, it's, it was a double degree in Instituto de Investigación Ortega y Gasset and Complutense. So actually my title is from the Complutense de Madrid and I have so many professors from Complutense. That was an eye-opening because then I realized uh, how interested I was in Latin America. And um, while I was there, it was interesting because, uh, well, life happens, right? And I was also um, 
reporter for different magazines in um, in Spain, but I also got a job as a producer and anchor in Televisión Educativa Iberoamericana. It was so many years ago and so many kilos less. <laughs> so I was the anchor of Noticias Culturales Iberoamericanas, which was very interesting because it was a newsroom full of people from Latin America. So the fights that we had in trying to write a Spanish language that we all understood, it was fascinating, right? So no, I say jala, you say jala, you say It was very interesting. And I had the greatest experience of my life there because I was also a producer for um, Canal Do. It was a channel where we did a lot of uh, cultural uh, productions such as Club de Lectura, which was uh, the beginning of, uh, we didn't have internet at the time, uh, it was a um, talk from um, Spanish language writers and different audiences in Latin America. So we have Isabel Allende, we have Chenique, we had uh, Antonio Gala, you name it, very, very interesting uh, writers. And then we have these groups of um, different reader, readers, reading communities, asking via his pasat their questions, and I was in charge of everything. That was, that was very interesting. I was also producer of, um, it was a very beautiful uh, telenovela that is called Patas del Alma, produced by Calandria, uh, which you might know it's a, a very interesting um, um, cultural um, center, actually. And they produced this telenovela uh, with a very social and important content on, for young people. So we, we will uh, uh, broadcast the, the series, and after the series, we will have. Um, discussion with, with people. And it was a producer with very low budget. So uh, that was very interesting as well, because we would do everything from bringing people to the studio, from writing uh, the scripts, from producing, from editing, from sending all the information away. And it, it was quite an experience. So it was in Agencia F, in the TV station of Agencia F. That was, that was uh, in Madrid. And then I also ended up being a reporter and producer for a, a um, Red Combust, which it was a community-based radio station, and I was in charge of the productions about immigration. But it was interesting, it was co-productions with Argentina, with Ecuador, with Colombia, with Venezuela. So we would produce stories about immigration in radio, and uh, it was co-produced, and it was distributed by ALER, Asociación Latinoamericana de Educación Radiofónica, and it also was part of the AMART, the Red of Community Radios in, in, in Spain. Wow, what a... I mean, that was in Radio Valleca. <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. You've done, I mean, since getting to Mexico, it seems to me you've done both, you know, research and, uh, you know, journalism, and also, you know, cultural production in parallel. Uh, yes, that's why when you see my CV, you will see, oh, I did so many things here. And then also because I was working as a journalist to actually pay my tuition for my, my, my major, my master's and my PhD. And I've been working with, in, Cal, in Cal State with so many working students. Uh, so I always tell them, I've been there. I've been a working student. I know how it works. I know that you don't have weekends. I know sometimes you need to finish your midterm paper and then go to work and the first shift. Uh, I've been there. It's, it's, it's challenging, but it's also a good opportunity for you to, you know, to, to succeed in what you love or what you like. 
right? Absolutely. And so, so how was it? Because you were in Spain, uh -huh. and then did you go from Spain to uh, Cal State? So did you come to the U.S. from Spain? Did you go back to? This, this is going to be public, right? So yes. I'm aware of what. <laughs> yes, it is. Will be public. Yes, it is. <laughs> So, um, well, it was interesting. At the time I um, got my PhD, I already had two kids, and uh, they were, um, I had a baby and a toddler, and also, you know, my partner, he was also in different jobs, etc. So, at the time, I really wanted to explore other areas. So, we started looking in, in, in different areas, and then um, I was looking actually for um, postdoc um right opportunity but at the time i was talking to people around um i realized that i could not only look for a postdoc but also for a job right so it was uh, at the time um cal state Nordry had this spanish language minor in journalism and they were looking for expanding their program and they were looking for someone with experience in journalism bilingual with a with a phd and it was my profile, right? So it was it was interesting, and then uh, well, I came to California, and then you know how it works, and then I give a talk in English and Spanish, and then I explain my my research uh, and my professional expertise, and uh, we decided. Well, I got a job, and my also my husband got a job in his own field, and we just packed our things again, and then we crossed the Atlantic again. <laughs> So that was that was interesting. I, uh, I I I missed Mexico so much. So for me, going to LA was oh, I'm back in Mexico, right? So I my students were very very surprised when I knew exactly what a pozole is or what kind of tamal is the best one. Or they were like, Prof, how come you you're Peruvian? It's like, no, I'm Pemex. You know, Pemex the 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 uh, oil company, right? It's like right. Pemex. Yeah, I'm Peruvian, I'm from Mexican. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and then in Los Angeles, I started learning uh, Central American accents. So I started meeting my Central American. And that was interesting because when I arrived to Los Angeles and I started working with my Latino students in, in California, uh, I would meet with them. I was also an advisor for the student uh, publication, the bilingual student publication, right? And they would go back and forth with the language and they would use both languages at the same time. And I was, wait, 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 English or Spanish? And they would laugh at me. It's like, no, no, I'm too old. I cannot do this. And like, prof, it will give you six months or a year. And you will be like us. And they were absolutely right. So we would go back and forth with languages. And it is the reality of Latinos. Huh? That, that's the life we, we live in. And it was very easy. Because for me, it was, I speak only English or only Spanish until I became Latina, right? So that was, that was very very interesting so i've been working in uh and in cal state and and loving my students and learning how to be a better professor and i realized that i also uh, it was important for my especially for my latina students to see in front of them in a classroom someone that they can relate to that i speak english with an accent and I'm here that I have a master's and a PhD and I'm here and um, that I speak other languages that I'm interested in other um, stuff. And, uh, and I also had kids, but I always tell them it's okay to wait until you're older to have kids. It's okay if you decide not to have kids or 
whatever you decide, you 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 are you, you own your life, right? So please go explore, study, get out of your comfort zone, and then go somewhere else, and then enjoy life. And it was very interesting for me to learn how to work in a Spanish service institution with Latino students with this drive to learn and explore and and being able to help them and facilitate their learning experience. Um, and I, I always tell them I, I learn more from you from what I I'm all, I'm, I'm only older and have read a little bit more than you. That's it. <laughs> but here, and, and I'd like to use the Pablo Freire's uh, perspective on uh, education, right? Uh, you have to be a facilitator. I don't like this vertical perspective of I'm the one who knows everything and you're, you're going to learn from me. It's not. It's like we are going to learn together. It's like you're younger, but you also have this knowledge that I can I can learn from you, right? So uh, it was a, a very good experience, especially for my female students, because I realized that they were uh, always interested in learning how I could do this, right? So how you move to one country to another, and then uh, how you, uh, I'm also first generation a college student, and then how you do this or that is like, I, I will always tell them, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, so it is so important for Latino students who have Latino professors, Latinx professors, that they can understand that there is uh, also a way for them in the academia, in the professional arena, and they are absolutely capable of doing that. But they just need support, they need information, uh, they 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 need people in the academia to understand their uh, different realities. That some of them are working students, and then sometimes we need to adapt. Uh, but only having people like us in the academia understanding, or we have experience that they went through, um, I think is the only way to you know promote more uh, participation of Latinos, not only in newsrooms and in the profession, but also in the academia. We need more Latinos in, in higher education. That's excellent. If, if, I, if I may sort of build on that. So, um, you know, you, you are a first generation Latina who uh, has succeeded in academia in um, Latin America, in Europe, in the US. Right, um, so you, you're really at the top of the game. Um, what, what's your secret sauce? I mean, what, what would you say uh, were the, the, the main things that you did that might have helped you succeed so much and that others you know, who are beginning their journeys or who might think about beginning their journeys um, you know, learn from? I would say mentors. Mm -hmm. Mentors. It's so important to have mentors along the way. In university, in, in my high school, I have those professors that told me you're good, go for it. In my university, I recall Teresa Quiroz. I recall, um, oh my gosh, my professor. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking right now. He's a, he's a rec uh, rector right now. Oh my gosh, I will remember. 
his name, he was so encouraging for me and also Javier Plot, Celtic, and um, Oscar Quesada, thank God. Oscar. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they, when, when I moved to Mexico, um, Teresa was so encouraging, right? And then I moved to Mexico and I found uh, Beatriz Solis, Luis Gornés, Luis Núñez Gornés, uh, along the way in Spain, uh, Francisco Sierra, my director of my um, PhD dissertation. Um, I had this fantastic professor, Joaquin Arango, he's an expert on immigration in Spain. He allowed me to enter in his classes and because I was studying Latin American studies, so I wasn't that aware of issues on uh, migration and he allowed me to to go uh to his classes to learn about that um i i remember all these mentors and professors that really helped me out in pursuing my 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 interests right so i would say it's a combination of mentors and then this um idea of trying to to dig into what your interests are and also um into exploring new areas and not being afraid of exploring new areas and along all these years i will also say that my partner in life and in crime and in my house has been absolutely supportive of every single uh step that i make he is an expert in immigration, not because he learned about that, but he, because he reads all my papers in Spanish and English. <laughs> Whenever we are in a bar, and then, you know, immigration is a sexy topic, right? So people ask, oh, so how about that? And people start asking, and my husband is like, oh, here she comes again. And I'm like, yeah. sometimes I, as a joke, I tell him, okay, can you explain that? And he's capable of explaining that because he he reads every single of my publications and, and i love him for so many reasons but we're talking about the academia right i love him for this particular um part that he spent with me and then very supportive i remember you remember pablo when you were doing your your dissertation those uh, months that everybody asked you you were supposed to finish a year ago and you're still finishing your dissertation. that's right Right? right, you were talking about finishing that some years ago, and then I remember one one day when my uh, scholarship ended, and I was like, "Okay, that's it. I'm not going to finish the dissertation, and we don't have the money anymore. I'm going to look for a job." And he would he would say, "Stop. Okay, we'll figure it out. But you have been suffering this thesis for so many years, and you're going to finish it because you're going to finish it." And we just sat and decided how we we're going to do the budget, etc. Because I, I really needed one more year to finish, and uh, we did it. But I, I couldn't have done this with his support, right? And moving from one country to another, I, we changed together five times, from Mexico to Spain, from Spain to the U.S., from the U.S. to to Spain again, and then back to 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 the U.S. again. From California, and now we are in. Arizona, so uh, it's, it's so important to have a partner that supports you also, right? And walks with you in, in the journey. So I would say a combination of all these different elements. It's excellent. And, and, and since you mentioned the topic of immigration, you know, when, when one reads your papers and um, you know, looks at your vita in general, 
um, th there are two topics, at least to me, um, that are together, they're not exactly the same, uh, but they are together that have marked a lot of in your intellectual journey, uh, at least over the past, uh, the more, more, more recent years. One is immigration, there is bilingualism, right? And um, in, in very creative ways, because I mean, you, you've done research about, you know, the, the Latinx community in Japan, and try to, you know, very few people go that far, right? But it's true that in, in some parts of Latin America, it's a very important anchor, right? Uh, one can think Peru, in some parts of Brazil. Um, so, so how did you choose those topics? How did you choose what to study? How, how was that process for you? So it was interesting. When, um, <clears throat> when I uh, arrived to Mexico and I realized that I, I was well prepared in the sociological arena, but I wasn't that prepared in the political and, and economics areas, right? So I really wanted to dig into that. And I was very lucky through Mauro Marini. Oh my gosh, the director of the, oh my gosh, Pablo, you're making, you're gonna make me cry. This is not supposed to, me, to happen, okay? okay. <laughs> because I remember, I remember all these, talks with these people that really pushed me. Um, so Romano Marini um, passed away, unfortunately. Uh, he explained me the reality of Brazil. He was uh, Brazilian. And with him and other professors in uh, at NAM, I started realizing the importance of understanding politics and economics, but I will, always wanted to add the media aspect of that, right? That's why I ended up doing an analysis of propaganda and the media in Mexico. That was a, a master thesis that I actually didn't publish as a book because after I, I defended it and I moved up to, to Spain. And that also happened with my dissertation in Spain. I already had an approval for um, publishing my dissertation as a, my, my thesis as a book, but I moved to, to the United States. So life happened in between. So I, I have my pending tasks for that someday, maybe I will do that. Um, but at that time in Mexico, I remember those conversations with Ramona Marini, um, learning about Brazil. And then the other thing that happened that is that in my master's, I needed a third language, uh, to get my master's degree in Mexico. Now I hated them so much because I already spoke English and in Spanish, I thought it was enough. And they said, no, you have to have a third language. So I started learning Portuguese because I thought I need to, to because I need to learn fast. It has to be a language that is similar to Spanish. So I was doubting between Italian and Portuguese and say Portuguese because I love, um, you know, Brazilian telenovelas, et cetera. So now I speak Portuguese. So it's, it was very, I had this beautiful, very smart professor. I can't remember her name. Pablo, you have warned me. So I could write all the names <laughs> of my mentors. And she will teach me how to sing uh, different poems in Portuguese. And at the time I thought, okay, this is a wasting of my time because I'm learning a language that I'm not gonna use anymore. Guess what? 25 years later, the majority of the Latin American immigrants in Japan are from Brazil. So I was able to interview my uh, sources in Portuguese. My Portuguese is not perfect, but it's good enough for me to understand and get into the dialogue. I, I have been also in different um, aulas, how you call in Portuguese in, in Brazil, and, and, and teach there. And um, so by, by, uh, by the time I uh, decided to go into another area of Latin America, so let's go from Mexico to Spain, um, 
two things happened. Um, I was an immigrant in Spain. I was a journalist in Spain, and I was so surprised about the way Latin Americans were covered in uh, in Spanish newspapers and how little they know about the historical context, the economic context, etc. So somehow, when it came to the moment to decide the topic that I wanted to uh, explore for my thesis in a PhD, I decided I want to do immigration, Latin America, and representation in, in the press. And it was very interesting because I remember Joaquin Arango, Carlos Malamud, I was Carlos Malamud, also uh, a professor in Latin American science, Argentinian, by the way. Uh, I, I told to them, I, I want to do this uh, thesis in, in um, immigration, and they say, okay, good news and bad news. Good news is a very interesting topic because it's new, we're receiving immigrants. Bad news, there's not that much written. So I was, I had to go to the census office and write how many Argentinians we had in 42, 71, how many Cubans. And now everything is available on the internet, right? You, with a click, you have all the, the information, but I had to go to the Eurostat, the strategist um, office of the European Union, in in spain and it was it was challenging it was challenging uh, also to 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 be subject and object of my own uh, area i was lucky enough that the group of peruvians uh, didn't grow as uh, at much at this time so the three groups that i uh, i studied were ecuadorians colombians and argentinians the three groups that uh, grew the longest uh, during the change of the century which is the period of my analysis so I, with the guidance of uh, Francisco Sierra, he's a professor at the University of Sevilla, uh, we had so many fights, I remember, because in a good sense, right? Because uh, I, I wanted to do an, an interdisciplinary study of, of this. So I wanted to start to analyze the coverage in news media, so uh, discourse analysis. I also wanted to understand the different groups of um, mainstream media in Spain, so political economy of media. I wanted to understand sociology of production of media, so interviews with journalists. I also wanted to uh, understand the news consumption, so focus groups. So it was all in one. And I, I was able to do everything but my interviews with the Spanish journalists. And we had so many fights in that. Is like, I want to do my interviews. And he was like, you cannot do the interviews because you are a Latin American immigrant. So you need to train interviews. It's not that I didn't conduct the interviews. I did that, but I trained other uh, doctorate students with my, you know, the guide of questions, and they were all Spaniards, and we did everything, and, and they, they, they did interviews um, at the time. Uh, it was very important, important for, for, the, uh, for the objective of the study, right? They need to have another Spaniard in the communications that they could talk about. And it was very, and it was, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the bar waiting for the, the call, right? So yes, uh, they were talking about this and then, and this, just to kind of demonstrate all your hypothesis. It was very interesting. So that's the only part that I couldn't do it, but it, it, it made sense at the time. Now I'm, I'm very grateful because of that, I could understand it was also for Span Spanish uh, journalists to understand a very complex reality. So, and that's when I discovered, okay, I need to work on training journalists. So I started working with Agnur and then um, Sear, 
uh, in different uh, workshops where I would train journalists uh, to understand uh, why Spain was receiving Latin American immigrants. And it was very interesting because uh, I would work with them and then I would ha we would have like 35 journalists enrolled, right? And then four would show up. Hmm. Because they had to go somewhere else because of this and that, you know, the journalists is very hard to have a, um, a schedule. So with a few that we could have anytime we did the, these workshops, it was very interesting because I had this uh, different reporters saying, but if I have this good story about how well they get to get, they get along, Ecuadorians and Spaniards, my editor is not going to buy that story, right? Because we are so, the trend is to do conflict, social conflict journalism, uh, and which is why I love this new trend of uh, solutions journalism, and, and we're going to have a training this, this Friday on that. Because I think there's, a, there's also a way to, to, to tell people around that the, the society needs immigrants because of so many reasons. And the majority of the immigrants are in a particular country because they just want to work and they just want to, to, to you know, raise their families, etc. But unfortunately, news media tend to, to portray them as the reason of social conflict. So I, I just wanted to do that. So I, I uh, published this and it was very interesting because when we compare the different ways that Spanish press will portray Ecuadorians, Colombians, and Argentinians, I, I discovered these different ways of viewing Latin America. So it was a frightened view of Colombians as if they mostly were from, you know, sicarios or narcotraffic or prostitutes and when the reality was the majority of Colombians in Spain were middle class and very well educated. Mm -hmm. And with Ecuadorians it was uh, the, the, this idea of you know, compassion, right? That they are poor uh, and they are suffering this, uh, being poor and this is why we're receiving Ecuadorians when in reality it was uh, the, the end of the Ecuadorian miracle what happened and and this is the assumption between Spain and Ecuador. And then the first groups of um, people from Ecuador were middle class also. And sometimes we were school teachers just wanted to, 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 to work in, in Spain. Whereas when I uh, started analyzing the stories about news coverage of Argentinians, mm -hmm. it was the only case that we, uh, I saw in the reporting and headlines that would say, middle classes in Argentina suffering from the financial crisis and then they are leaving the country because blah, blah, blah. So it was very interesting to see how when they talk about Colombians and Ecuadorians, they didn't see the same reality that they saw in Argentina, right? And then it was very interesting to, to compare these realities. Yeah. Very interesting. So, so, so then, I mean, you, you are, multilingual not just bilingual you are you are multicultural have lived in many places is that why you have such a keen understanding of, of, of difference and diversity would you say i mean because it's, it's striking i mean it's something that you emphasize in your research and and the program that you are building in arizona is based on that it's two languages not one which is a remarkable cultural change for u.s institutions right uh to finally you know wake up to that reality mm -hmm. do you think your your trajectory has you know as a person as a scholar as a media professional 
that that has that made you sort of aware and sort of more sensitive to the realities of heterogeneity and diversity in the Latinx experience? Yes, yes, it's, it's all these experiences. And actually, we uh, the title of the master is bilingual journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're also we're going to start with um, Spanish and English, but we have the option of Portuguese oh. as well. So what we want to do, and this is, uh, you know, the, the, the philosophy behind this master's program, uh, we live in Tucson, and people here, they speak native languages. So we should be able to incorporate those as well. So, and then Latinos also, they can speak other languages, right? I wish I, will, I was fluent in Quechua, that's my, my to-do list, mm -hmm. uh, right? Uh, so the idea for the, for the program is, okay, we're gonna start with Spanish, and also Portuguese because, well, I speak Portuguese and then we have other colleagues who speak Portuguese and we have uh, Portuguese speaking professors also in Latin American studies in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. But the idea is for the program to have the possibility to um, embrace being multilingual. And the idea of understand if you want to um, produce a story in uh, the, the language of your sources is because you are entering in this conversation with these communities, right? So I, I think especially in a place like Tucson, like it's, it's, it's very diverse and then Native Americans groups are um, excellent in, 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 you know, the relation with the land and the nature. And also we have the, the um, Native American um, studies here in the university. So we should be able to you know, embrace all these possibilities that we have in the university and incorporate them into into the journalism uh, practice and the journalism studies as well. So that's that idea that we have in mind. Uh, we're going to have some core courses, but depending on the students, we're going to tailor their electives towards whatever they want to do. So we have Native American students, uh, they should be able to produce in English and in a native language as well. That's fascinating. And, and, and going from the university to the field, right? Um, how do you see the field of communication and media studies in relation to these issues of difference, multiculturalism, multilingualism, or multilingualism? Sorry about that. Um, um, what, what has been your experience thinking about the global field? Because you've, you've seen, you know, communication studies in Latin America, say in Peru and Mexico, you also have seen it in Spain. Now you work in the US, you are very active and successful in the main uh, leading professional organizations in the field. Um, how do you see the field of communication and media studies uh, in relation to these trends that we've been discussing? I see challenges and opportunities. I see challenges in the way that we don't have as many Latinx scholars as we should uh, if we compare with the demographics of the country and we can talk about it for hours and i just uh, show a couple of um, pieces of information we have an issue not only in enrolling but in retention we have a problem in general in the university in the united states uh, retention is our goal because um for several reasons right so um and I think the more we have more scholars and the more we support Latino students going for undergrad, first of all, we need to get them into undergrad and then from undergrad, 
to grad studies, the more professors, I, I see like yourself and myself, Pablo, and all the Latino scholars that you have this beautiful lineup that you have for your series, right? The role that they have, not only for the research that they do, the critical understanding of the society, but the only, their only presence is important, right? So I, I think a challenge there. We need to uh, have more Latinx scholars in the field. And, and the, the, the opportunities, I see them in this way. When you are part of the community, you also feel the social responsibility of advancing in the field. So it's like a natural consequence, right? So that's why we have so, um, those, those few scholars that are so talented doing excellent job and then uh, criticizing the reality from, and this is important, from an empowered position, right? So, uh, and this is important because we need to also teach the students that it is important because academia, especially in the social field, is not accepted, right? We have our different uh, positions regarding the society. We can be very critical, we can be more conservative, that's okay, everybody, um, we're, we're free to choose our different experiences, but it, it is important to understand that all these, for example, let's say the, the um, critical race theory, how that has been influencing also Latino, Latino critical race theory and how we have so many scholars that are working also in the Latin, Latino media critical race theory. I'm thinking on my good friend, uh, Mari Casaneda, right? And uh, yes. we are starting the field and then we have all these other professors that are doing these gender studies. I'm thinking Marilena Cepeda, Angara Valdivia. So, uh, so I see opportunities and uh, I, I see, and I'm very glad to see the growth of this and, and see the collaboration. For example, you started your, your center and we are here, right? You just invite us and we're like, yes, let's do it. Because Absolutely. I think instead of seeing us as competitive, it's, I think it's a collaboration, this is an opportunity. The more we collaborate, the stronger we, we work in the field uh, and I see that's that's the opportunity that I see, you know. And then we can inspire your student, my students, uh, Valdivia's students, Cepeda's students, right? So we can we can embrace. And I'm thinking not only in Latino students. I'm thinking also in non-Latino students interested in issues of diversity, which is very important also to be aware of their position and how uh, they they uh, have the opportunity also to work towards a more uh, inclusive right society not only in society in, in in general but the academic society which is sometimes uh, has its own issues right absolutely that's 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 great so so that leads us to my final question um something which i i, I like all the i like to ask all the guests in this uh in this podcast so if if you have magical powers right and and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communications and media studies uh, to change. What would you wish for? Do we have 24 hours for <laughs> well, Let's say 22. <laughs> so I wish for the um, field, what I wish for my own society to be a more inclusive society, uh, to be a more respectful society, 
to be aware of our, how we have been evolving for so many years. And uh, the more we advance in the society, the, the more we have the opportunity to make our world a better world. Call me romantic. This is, this is how I feel. That's why I'm the academia, because I think we have a, um, um, here, we, we, we have the opportunity to, to work with students and to prepare them into be critical with the society, learn about the past, and then create a better, be critical with the present to have a better future, right? So we cannot stop thinking about, unfortunately, it's a, it's a common place, but that another world is possible. Uh, I, I believe that we all have different, you know, if we were in the engineering field, well, there's a possibility to that, that uh, also area with a critical perspective, but media is also important. And that's another thing that for me is very important. Sometimes people tend to think that um, media studies or journalism are not that important because they are not working with, you know, hard sciences, etc. And I truly believe that it's so important because we're dealing with the social reality. We're dealing with professionals, we, 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 we deal with discourses, we deal with public opinion, we deal with representation, and those elements are as important as other fields. It's not, not less, no more, but they are also important. So I think it's important to keep advancing in, in these type of projects as well. All right, Jessica, what a, what a great time that, uh, that I've had uh, learning from you, uh, speaking with you. It's been truly a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom, your experiences with us. Uh, and I invite our listeners to stay tuned for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you very much. Thank you. Gracias. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcicki, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi. <laughs>